Hey, Jordan, what's up, man? We're uh, doing things a little bit differently here for this episode of the podcast. It has been an emotional roller coaster ride here for sports fans in Hawaii, particularly fans of the University of Hawaii, uh, because on Saturday there was elation, right? The, the bliss of the accomplishment of the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team realizing a national championship and doing so by beating longtime foe BYU and beating them in dominant fashion, a sweep. I mean, it wasn't even really close. They left absolutely no doubt. And so that celebration continues. But it was quickly tempered by the news that came just days later about the passing of former University of Hawaii quarterback Colt Brennan, who dies at the age of 37. And some of the details at the time of this recording have started to come out, right? Some of the challenges that he faced, some of the the troubled past once again came back to haunt him, was obviously an absolute star when he was at the University of Hawaii, was one of those members of that very special team that took the UH football program to new heights. Uh, And at the end, based on some of the stories and details that we're getting, some of those past demons once again came back and ultimately took his life. And so very, very sad and sobering news. And so we're going to sort of combine some of those emotions here in this episode uh, because we do want to carve out an ample amount of time to properly respect and mourn the loss of Cole Brennan, uh, an athlete who meant so much to so many people here in Hawaii, uh, but also carve out some time to celebrate, as, as we should, the incredible achievement and accomplishment that is the UH Men's Volleyball Championship. And we will do so by talking with the guy who is the architect of it, Charlie Wade, the head coach for the UH Men's Volleyball Program. But we start, obviously, uh, with that very sad news about uh, Colt Brennan. Uh, first off, I got the news very early in the morning, like right when I was waking up, started getting some text messages. And, and sort of that, that's how I became aware of what was happening. Uh, how did the news reach you and how did it then strike you, Jordan? Yeah, right when I woke up, just about as well. Um, what was that, Tuesday morning? Um, got up a little early. Uh, I actually had to fly over to Honolulu that day. Uh, to do some spectrum broadcasts and uh, just kind of turned on the morning news, you know, as I'll typically do, just taking in the, the early day. I was, I was watching uh, Hawaii News Now and, and the news came across. Um, and it kind of, you know, I think hit me like a ton of bricks, um, you know, and, and it, was, it wasn't necessarily a secret that, that, that Colt had, had gone through some struggles over the course of, you know, the last decade or so. Um, but, you know, you, you never, you never prepared for that news, right? And, and I think um, it was such a, such a roller coaster of emotions. I think that that I think that'll probably come through in our podcast as well <laughs> in yeah. this episode. But it it, it was um, uh, you know as high as you could get on on Saturday. And then this is this is about as big a gut punch I think you can have as a Hawaii sports fan, uh, just as like a Hawaii resident. I think Colt resonated beyond that. It was beyond sports. Like it was beyond football. Truth be told, that was I. I think I've gotten choked up, shed a few tears of both jubilation. Like I got choked up watching the university of Hawaii volleyball team win that thing on Saturday. And I've watched portions. I haven't watched the whole match all the way through. Cause I was getting ready for a baseball doubleheader last Saturday. <laughs> um, but uh, I've watched portions of the replay, like different snippets. I still haven't watched the match one through three in, in terms of the sets, but uh, you know, it was chicken skin, right? You get a little choked up, like seeing those guys and, and knowing how far they've come. And then, and then, uh, you know, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, a bit much more melancholy uh, with Colton kind of just, 
seeing all the tributes, all the posts and, um, you know, just kind of pausing and thinking, um, you know, shedding a few tears on, on that end as well. So it's been, it's been a wild week, man. It, it really has. Yeah, it, it had been a, a turbulent run for Colt Brennan. And so I, I think the, the awful thing to say uh, is this is a reality. This is the truth. I, I've had conversations with guys who were sort of in Colt's sphere, as I was fortunate enough to be able to say that I was as well, that we feared for this day. We feared this day was coming. That There almost seemed to be like this inevitability as he continued to physically and, and, and mentally in many ways kind of deteriorate. Uh, and there had been times where so many of us who had a, a connection uh, and or a relationship with him uh, reached out to him or maybe even in the past where he's reached out to others. And everyone has, has tried, I think, to some degree, because he was so beloved, he was so adored, uh, so supported. I think everybody within his orbit made an attempt to try to help in some way that they could. Uh, but there's only so much that the outside world can do for an individual who's going through those kinds of struggles. And it actually warmed my heart to read and, and know that he had been in rehab for several months prior to this overdose on a, on a drug that he obtained and, and then ingested, which was laced with fentanyl. That, that, that warmed my heart to think that he was trying to, to, before it all was said and done, do the right thing, right? Make some of the changes necessary to, to, to better himself and try to get past some of these struggles. Uh, ultimately, it would, it, would, it would still bite him and it, it would still cost him his life. And, and that is tragic and heartbreaking. This wasn't necessarily something that we didn't see possibly coming. And I was still surprised as, as to the degree with which it affected me. Like it, it, it hit me pretty hard that day and has continued to in different stretches since. Uh, and that is because not only was he this tremendous athlete who, who represents this wonderful, splendid time in Hawaii sports history, uh, but he was also just in the better days, he was just a good dude. He, he was unpretentious. Uh, he was always down. He was one of the guys. He signed every autograph with enthusiasm. He took every selfie with enthusiasm. Uh, there was just something about him. He was such a beacon. And I think he provided so much joy for those who were around him and those that he touched and even those from a distance who just liked watching him do his thing. So it's sad. It's sad because this prompted us to once again remember those times, which were so much better times for us as sports fans and for Colt Brennan himself. And so that's what has, has kind of hit me a few times here in the last few days is just, just missing those times, missing those better days. Yeah, a couple of things I, I think it's important to point out, as you did there, you know, as many people that tried to help him, at least in the very end, he was he was trying to help himself too, right? And and I think that's important to to reiterate. And and yeah, he was. It's it's heartwarming to to hear all the stories, right, from from everybody. It's amazing how popular he was outside of the state as well. Um, but just him being sort of an adopted son, and and I think you know, I, I when we were texting, I described him as a comet. Like he 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 just he was his star shone so bright like it was everybody wanted to be around him right wanted to be a part of that stardom wanted to be a part of that bright light that he brought um but but 
you know, like a lot of comets, right? They, they come and go faster than you'd like them to. And, and often, you know, it's, it's a, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a passing, passing moment where all of a sudden it's gone. Um, but, but he was, that was him. Like he, the joy part that you bring up, he brought so much joy to so many people and so many people wanted to take part in that, right? They wanted to have, whether it was get an autograph, whether it was go watch a game at Aloha stadium, whether it was just watching him on mainland television, like staying up till two o'clock in the morning because watching UH football games were, were as fun as anything on television back then. Uh, whether it was all the kids who would wait in line for hours just to shake his hand, um, folks stopping him in parking lots, stopping him at Sandy's. Like, you know, he and, and he embraced that pure heartedly, not just wholeheartedly, but like pure heartedly. He was a guy who just absolutely wanted to make everybody that crossed paths with him as happy as they could be. He wanted to see smiles on their faces. And I think so often, right, with people who I think are that genuinely um, true to, to wanting to see everybody be so happy, so much of the, the negative gets internalized and, and, and it kind of eats guys away from the inside out. And, and I think maybe we saw a little bit of that with, with some of the demons you talked about because he was, it was all genuine, man. It was, he was a guy who just wanted, he wanted to live life, in a yeah, carefree is maybe a little too flippant, but just a, a happy way, right? He was a guy who, who saw the good things in life. Like that's the way he played football. That's the way he, he went about things. And I think that's the, the funny part is so much of the, the conversations you hear and the stories you, you hear from folks are, are so much of that, right? It's like the time they got to meet him. It's the time they, they came across or the way that they would see him being interviewed on television and how he would talk about Hawaii how he fell in love with the islands, how he fell in love with the people, the culture, how he was so relatable. It wasn't necessarily like the touchdown pass he threw against Boise State <laughs> to win the WAC championship, right? And there are so many of those stories. Like there, it's, his greatness on the field is ridiculous. It is, it is undeniable. He's one of the greatest college football players we've ever seen, you know, and it's just a shame that he didn't quite get the crack at, at the pro game that we all thought, you know, maybe was coming down the road. But, but so many of the conversations don't start with Colt, the football player necessarily, or at least the guy – on the field, on the turf at Aloha Stadium, it is sort of cult, the person adjacent to the football player, right? Because, I mean, I'm, I, I think of so many of those fun stories. Like, I was a senior in high school when it is last year at UH. And he was bigger than life. And, like, for all of us, when we were playing in high school, you didn't want to be anybody but Hawaii. You didn't want to be anybody but Colt Brennan. Like, I, I played quarterback and, and, and uh, tried to play it as best as I could. And it was like, you wanted to be Colt Brennan. And, and it was it was amazing how much of that fervor just captured everybody from from kids playing to to the the old adults and, and everything in between. It was it was it was mania in its truest sense, but it was it was fun. Right. It was it wasn't as crazy as I think you can kind of get caught up in. Um, and and he was he was there for it. And he, he gave everything of himself to to folks who just wanted to just a little piece of it. Right. They just wanted a little part of that magical ride. Yeah, he embraced it. He embraced being yeah. this huge entity, right? And and like I mentioned, he was always down, right? He was just always good to go, you know? And, and that probably lent itself to some of the missteps and some of the poor decisions that he mm -hmm. would end up making along the way. Uh, but he was as big as anything that the University of Hawaii has ever had. You know, that's as close to Beatles mania as we've had. Maybe you could put the Fab Five perhaps up there. Derek Tatsuno, maybe, but those were mm -hmm. different times, right? Different levels of media availability. There wasn't social media. Yeah, I think his star 
like you mentioned, shown brightest of all of those that we mentioned, uh, just simply because of the timing, right? The era in which he came up, right? And, and the BCS era. And so the national attention that he drew and just kind of made fans think like, look at what we're doing here, guys. <laughs> like we just beat Washington to seal the deal on a BCS bid in 2007. They would end up playing in the Sugar Bowl and is like, wow, this is Hawaii football. This is, this is the biggest stage that Hawaii football has ever had. And so he made fans of the game feel like anything was possible. And then his personality made all of those same fans feel like they were friends with Colt Brennan. This connection, this, this intimacy, like Colt just felt like he was accessible. And so you combine those two things and you're talking about a superstar. I think what further sealed his status though, as, as, as a beloved University of Hawaii athlete was obviously when he made the decision after his junior year, after 2006, which I think a lot of people argue may have been a better team than the 2017, which went undefeated through the regular season and made it to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, but after 2006, this was a guy who was already on all of these NFL draft boards and, and was a guy who was projected to be a fairly early round potential draft pick. And he made the decision to come back. Right. And so here is this this mega star in college football who had the lure of the NFL right there in front of him. And what does he do right in front of this fan base that is just used to this inferiority complex, <laughs> is just used to being overlooked? Here was this star athlete who was instead of of succumbing to the lure of the NFL, decided, no, you know what's more important to me? This place, my teammates the people here. You people mean more to me than that. And man, he was adored for that decision right there. I think that's a paradigm shift that, that propelled him to an even greater status uh, as far as, as what he meant to this place, what he meant to University of Hawaii Sports and what he meant uh, to the state of Hawaii. Uh, you fast forward a few years later, the car accident that occurred on the Big Island in 2010, uh, and that seriously injured Dr. Teresa Wang. Uh, but what it did, I think, to Colt uh, on a more sort of physiological level, uh, and he would talk about it. He's like, my brain isn't the same because of the injuries that he uh, experienced in that car accident. And so it's not a desperate attempt in terms of speculating that there is a direct correlation with the injuries that he sustained in that accident, how it impacted him internally, physiologically going forward, and some of the substance use and, and abuse uh, that would ultimately be a part of his life going forward. I mean, that, that's pretty documented stuff. There was a direct line, I think, that can be drawn to, to what happened there. And I start thinking about it, and I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on this, but I start thinking what if he made a different decision? Like, what if he didn't come back for his senior year? Like, would Colt Brennan's life, would it have taken a completely different trajectory? You know, he, he would have been drafted higher than he was when he came out after the 2007 season. He would not have experienced the concussion that uh, he suffered against Fresno State in that 2007 season. You don't know what kind of, of longer-term effects and impact that may have had. And that's just for starters. And, and I'm spitballing mm -hmm. here a little bit, but I do think about that. That does enter my mind from time to time. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think 
for for Hawaii, right? It, it is immeasurable what that meant for him to come back. Um, but if you're going to look at it objectively, um, and even not knowing, right, just from a career standpoint, like it makes more sense to leave after the junior year. <laughs> like it does. It does. He's going to be a higher draft pick. His stock was never higher. Um, you know, maybe he sticks around a little bit longer in the league than as a sixth round pick, right, with Washington. And and so, yeah, it's it's hard to sit there and and, and remove yourself, right, as the Hawaii fan, as as the the the, the Hawaii native. But I mean, it, it it just makes more sense on paper for him to have left after that junior year. Like it would have been a better professional decision. Now the experience he had the ride that he went on, the ride that he took us on in that senior season, the, the legend that he built, right, being a Heisman finalist, like going to New York City as part of that, going to a Sugar Bowl, taking Hawaii to a BCS game, like all of those things, it is hard to measure that. It is hard to replace that, right? He would have given all that up, all that up for a shot at a higher draft pick, at a chance to, to a better shot of, of making it in the NFL. But it's hard to say that it was, it wasn't better to leave after that year. And, and it makes you think, right. It's like how different things would be, even if he was, I don't know, like if his star had come up 10 years later, right. If, if all of that had taken place 10 years later where the NFL is a much different league, right. Where Patrick Mahomes exists and is the best quarterback on the face of the planet. Like he plays like Colt played. Like that's Colt's <laughs> game. That's the style of play that Colt played. Running around the place, chucking it all over the lot. Really athletic, but one hell of a pocket passer, right? Like, that's Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying Colt is Patrick Mahomes, but it's the same kind of game. And those are the kind of guys that get shots now in the NFL. They aren't necessarily made to put on 30 pounds and go line up under center for, you know, Jim Zorn's offense in, in Washington or something like that. Like, it's a much different time. And then collegiately, right? Colt is, like, case number one of the name, image, likeness debate, right? He oh, comes man. back his senior year of college in 2022 where he can profit off his name, image, and likeness. It's a much different story. It's a much different story. And then you don't have to necessarily debate. Do I go pro? Do I try and make more money as a higher draft pick and give up all of this? Right. And, and so it's, his story is a tragedy in the end, but it, it, it bring it makes you think about so many different things, yeah. right? Because of how multifaceted he was, how good he was, just how popular he was outside of the state. Like my Twitter feed for uh, people just not even connected to Hawaii at all. Just tweeting about Colt Brennan after the news of his death on Tuesday. Like all day, all day, all national pundits, regional pundits, college football writers, people who don't even cover college football. And just the, the amount that he was talked about um, just gives you a snippet, I think, of, of what it was like, you know, about what, 12, 14 years ago when, when he was – it wasn't just a star here. And I think that's why it was different, right, for yeah. Hawaii. Like, we've had some stars. You mentioned, like, a Derek Tutsu and some of these other guys. Like, he was, he was well beyond the islands. Like, he was, he was as, as big time as it got across the country. I mean, this is the, the time of Colt McCoy and Tim Tebow and some of these other guys, right? Like, it, Colt was the man. Um, he was likable. He was a, that likable. Not just popular, that likable. Yeah. His personality and then how he played, right? I mean, he, he was swag before swag was like a term. <laughs> Like the yeah. way he the way he dressed, the way he the way he carried himself on the field, there was a little something extra to it, and and he was just he was something else. They don't make yeah. him like him. Stenciling in the the hair dye <laughs> yeah. uh, Hawaiian island chain on the side of his head, and yeah, and you look at some of these highlights that have surfaced, man. Those are just tremendous highlights. Those are great days. It was so good. Like, he just was so good. Some of the throws that he made were 
just how precise he was, just, uh, you know, he was a gifted, gifted quarterback. And so, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's really kind of what served as the foundation for this was he's just really, really good. And then on top of that, everything else that we're, we're talking about that maybe is a little bit more intangible. Uh, I'll just sort of end it with uh, with this story. I don't know if you saw, I posted this on social media. I did, but, I did. Um, but maybe my favorite memory is John Venary and I, we were both at KHON at the time. Um, this was after Colt had left UH, so he was sort of free to, to do this kind of stuff. Uh, but we came up with this goofy promo idea where Colt would be like an intern at KHON and then, you know, John Venary would ask him to run a tape over and Colt would be like, why don't I just throw the tape? And basically he would throw like a dud of a pass that would end up hitting me in the head elsewhere in the newsroom while I was on the computer. And we just thought it'd be kind of funny. Um, you know, we can make a little joke about it. I think the punchline at the end was, you know, me covering my eye or something and saying like, you know, uh, Heisman my eye as opposed to, you know, Heisman my ass, you know, something like that. And, and so we, we went to him with it. Uh, because he would come by and, and hang every now and then. We proposed this to him, and he was like, in instant. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do it. And so he came in one day, and we, we taped it, and, and he was great. He was great. And he just, to me, it, it, it sort of encapsulates who he was, just that, that one promo, his self-deprecation, right? It, it shows how he didn't take himself seriously. It shows his sense of humor fun loving so it just kind of it had all of the elements in my opinion of of, of his personality and, and sort of what made him uh, so accessible and so lovable and um, again I'm I'm just gonna miss those days those are days that I, I truly do miss um, and I think the one thing that I have allowed myself to consider is despite this tragic ending to his life um, you know, a guy who was challenged, who was troubled, who experienced so many missteps and so many uh, issues along the way uh, that maybe now he has a chance to to rest easy. That that Colt Brennan, after, you know, giving so much to so many people, looking back on that decision now and, and, and you know, in hindsight, retroactively, you can now apply so much sacrifice that he actually tangibly elicited uh, really on behalf of, of Hawaii and, and, and its fan base. Um, that maybe now he can he can be at peace. And that that's sort of what I hold on to, and you know that 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 helps settle. I think some of the sadness. The heartwarming part is he he's going to keep bringing smiles to people's faces for a long time more, right? He, he, even even posthumously, like he, he we're getting another chance to to relive some of those memories, and those highlights will live on, and and some of the the, the funny stories and whatnot they'll live on long beyond him, and and just like he did when when he was the man right at, at UH, he, he's going to keep putting smiles on people's faces. And what, what better legacy could you leave? Right. Yep. Rest in Aloha Colt Brennan. Uh, appreciate everything that uh, he represented. That was a, an awesome time in the history of Hawaii sports. All right. So there's no great transition that can be made here. Uh, there's no uh, fitting segue to go from talking about Colt and that loss to let's now flip it to the other side of the coin and celebrate the achievement of the UH men's volleyball program. But uh, we will do just that because uh, that was a reason to celebrate. And I think it actually 
may help a little bit in the mourning process, right? After you lose someone like Cole Brennan to still have an opportunity to, to celebrate University of Hawaii sports, in this case, men's volleyball, fresh off that national championship victory, blasted BYU in the final. There was a, a certain poetry to it, right? The last time we saw Hawaii play in front of fans at the arena was against BYU, a classic uh, and then you fast forward all these months later, national championship, which was, you know, they were denied a chance to even play for because of COVID last year. They get back to the title game and it's BYU on the other side of the net and then Hawaii handles its business. It was, it was just, there was a poetry to it. And so uh, without further ado, as our Domino's Hawaii main topping, uh, we are going to introduce our conversation with the head coach of the UH men's volleyball program, national champion coach at that, Charlie Wade. All right, we're here with Coach Charlie Wade, and uh, it's been a pretty wild ride, I would imagine, since you arrived back with the National Championship trophy in tow. Yeah, it certainly has been a great turnout on Sunday on the lower campus where people came out and just uh, a, and a great day yesterday, you know, going all over town and meeting with the mayor and the governor and the yeah, just awesome. And then the kind of trolley ride through Alamoana and Waikiki, and I just I really enjoyed seeing – Rado especially, just so much joy on his face and smiling and singing, knowing that he was getting on a plane last night to head back to Bulgaria. Um, great way for him to end up his career here. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. All, all the players are now going to start going back to, to their homes. I think Colton Cowell is actually coming back to Maui uh, here this evening. Uh, and you'd mentioned Rado going home for the first time in a while. Uh, so it's like mission accomplished, and now these guys uh, get to sort of um, bask in it a little bit, right? Yeah, yesterday was a great day for that. It really was. It just so much aloha, and, and you know, it's something we're very appreciative of. Just a, a nice way to kind of wrap up what was uh, a great season. Yeah, how have you been able to process this since the championship match on Saturday, which was a one-sided affair? It was a, a leave-no-doubt type of effort. Uh, and so in these days, it's a, you know, obviously a whirlwind. You have all of these appearances and all of these proclamations. Uh, how have you processed what this season meant and what this accomplishment means? Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be an ongoing thing, right? I mean, there hasn't been a lot of time to reflect on it. I mean, it's very gratifying for sure. And uh, I know it's a big deal. <laughs> a lot of people... Uh, really took a lot of joy in it. And for us, that was something, you know, it's such a tough year for everyone. And if, and if we could provide even a moment of uh, relief and joy to people and pride to people in the state, so be it. And, uh, you know, we were able to do that in a really meaningful way. And it, uh, it feels really good. How much was that uh, front of mind, if you will? Uh, was that something you guys had as a conversation amongst the team internally of, hey, you know, this is, a bigger deal and, and we're playing for a little bit something more, not having the fans in there, or is that kind of just something inherent that, that everybody understood? No, I mean, I'd say historically we don't make a really big deal about it, but we do talk about our lives are different, you know, and we live in the most isolated place on earth and, and, you know, the kind of support we get, but this year more than ever, um, it was a discussion topic all the time that we're playing for something a lot bigger than us and um, and really was, you know, I said front of mind for the guys wanting to accomplish and, you know, and then having the fans in Columbus really made it real for us. Like, okay, this is what we do. We play for our fans. 
um, you know, we're good because of our fans and, and having even some of them there uh, was really powerful. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, what was it like? What was the atmosphere like? Uh, take us, take us inside the arena there. Uh, at yeah, Ohio if, State. You, if you would have had me like the multiple choice question, was there 175 or 1,750 or 17,500? I probably would have picked 175 last because it felt like uh, a lot bigger than that. And again, you know, and looking on it, you know, so, you know, we tried to downplay, okay, nobody has fans. So it kind of levels the playing field, but for, you know, for guys that literally grew up their whole career have had this just incredible mana from these crowds that we get and how much support we get through the state that I, I think it, it hindered us more than um, just a team who's only used to playing in front of friends and family. You know, it wasn't, you know, you go from a hundred to none, it's, it's not a big deal <laughs> than going from 10,000 to zero. Yeah, it mattered. And so having those people in Columbus that were all, you know, like I said, friends and family and loved ones and having real faces and real voices, uh, it made it real and made it that much more special for us. And, and our guys really stepped up and, and played the best they had all year. You know, there was a certain poetry to what transpired, right? The last time we saw your team in the arena prior to the COVID shutdown was against BYU in front of 10,000 in this epic all-time type of classic match. And then all of the trials and tribulations of the pandemic, you're able to get back to playing a season, uh, even if it is altered in terms of its scheduling to a degree. And then you get to the national championship game, and there on the other side of the net – is BYU. You hadn't seen them since last year. Um, what was the approach? Because you mentioned that was the best your team played uh, all season long, and, and they were dominant. What was the thinking going into that and, and, and sort of how it all played out? Well, I'd, I'd say it started from when last season ended, right? Where, you know, at the end of every year, we always go into, okay, what did we learn? What can we do better? And last year ended you know, the 2020 season ended so abruptly and we had the discussion on the day that the season was canceled. Like, look, this is, this has been thrust upon all of us and you have a choice on how you're going to respond to, you know, and, and we could never predicted how long it played out and really what a year it was. But from the beginning, it's like, look, some people are going to come out of this about the same. Some are going to slide backwards and we felt that we were better positioned to come out even better and stronger. And, and playing against BYU that last match, you know, we, we knew we had a really good team, but they handed it to us the first night. We did not play well. And then we, you know, kind of deuce, deuce win in, in a close five setter. So we knew that we were close, but we had to be better um, to be the best. And so I think the guys, you know, did a great job all year of committing to be the best. And then lo and behold, when we match up with them again, the you know the fruits of the labor had was evident you know you saw that those two teams when we met a year ago were really close and you know um last Saturday night not so close yeah what was behind that you think do you are you able to just sort of look at your team the way they take the floor the way they're swinging in warm-ups and kind of think oh um I think we might have it tonight what was there something yeah. that was apparent to you we always, we, you know, as coaches, we do that, right? We always look in and kind of see, but we've given up on trying to draw correlation because we've seen good warm-ups and guys not play so well. We've seen great warm-ups and then struggle. Um, so it's more just, for us, it was about the level of engagement. And it's something, you know, the since the San Diego match where we weren't engaged and you saw weird stuff like Rattle getting hit in the ankle with a serve and 
overpasses falling and um, we knew that we had to have the, our level of engagement be uh, maximum the entire time. And it was something we worked on in practice. And, and, and it really became evident, whether it was a game or even in practice, whichever side of the net had the higher level of engagement with great posture and great body language and great energy, that team was going to win. And even for the A side, if it was, you know, the A plus side could be even better at practice if they were, if they were more engaged. So we always kind of had that as our standard going forward. And, you know, both matches in um, Columbus, they were ready. We, we had a high level of engagement. I will say, though, and looking, I, I still always watch the warm up. And uh, I thought Colton in particular was really engaged he was in warm-up was phenomenal. And I turned to Josh and was like, man, if we get that Colton all night, you know, we felt good about we were going to win, but that's a, that was always a one component because you have to deal with Ratto and Pat and Gage is good and Jake's playing at a high level. And you put Colton out there with Chaz and those guys, it, um, it was a lot to deal with, you know. So do you buy into the theory of maybe that was a good thing to lose at that time it didn't it didn't penalize you right you still had the top seed in the NCAA tournament as it turned out um it, it, do you buy into any of, of that uh philosophy of oh maybe that's good for them to 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 lose and sort of reinstill uh, maybe the the self-doubt or at least the the, the respect I, I'm not sure do you, do you buy yeah, into any of that stuff I mean, typically losing sucks period you know but it can you can draw you know, if you use it either for motivation or you learn something, you know, that you really need to fix. And it wasn't so much uh, something tactical or some something in the in a ro- rotation or a player that we needed to change. We just needed to be fully engaged. If you take your foot off the gas, then everybody's good enough to, uh, you know, to win. So um, it, and it look I, and I said, I don't know if it needed to happen for us to win, but it did happen. And it did. And we weren't going to hide from it. And we just need to make sure that what we control is full level of engagement. And if we know we're, when we're fully into it, we win, you know, that group, they knew that. And um, so if you were going to beat us, you were going to have to have be on your a game and be fully engaged. And, um, you know, we got on them early in each of the sets and, and, you know, ended up being a pretty dominating performance. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder how much of it, right. Because, you talked about the overlap from last year, and, and really for this group, right, it has been, what, like three years now in the making. It has been a, a journey, six, right? Yeah, six, right, for a lot of these guys, right? You're talking about guys like Colton and whatnot. But, I mean, you know, going back to the national championship match in 2019 and then to, to, to battle and get ready for last season and to have that cut short. And then you got to get it up, revved up again, right? And so we, it is amazing to watch – the caliber of guys that you have play at the highest level when they are on, it is, it is awe inspiring, I think for observers. But to me, it's, it's so hard to tap into that night in and night out. Right. And, and get that level of engagement as you've talked about and have those guys perform at that level, every single match. It, it's tough. I would imagine, right. Doing it day in and day out, but sure. it almost seemed like once they got to the, to the tournament, right. Once they got to the NCAA tournament, they were, a little bit of that against Santa Barbara. And then once, once you get there, right. And there, there's no tomorrow after that. you're not really, you're not worried about maintaining this. All you got to do is maintain it for a couple of hours and over a few sets. Um, it, it almost looked like they, they, they knew the finish line was there and, and it was, there was nothing holding them back from, from playing at their optimum. It, it's from, from the outside looking in, that's kind of what it seemed like. Yeah. And, and certainly postseason, there is a finality to it, right? Yeah. 
everybody. And, and the San Diego match certainly gave us a glimpse at our own mortality. And, um, you know, I think the guys knew that they, they don't want to be in that position again. And, and really, when you get in those matches, you know, we, we have the scouting report. We see all the data points. The one that stuck out to me that where we knew we felt good about ourselves receiving, our receiving was significantly better than theirs statistically. That was the biggest gap. I mean, everybody's good at everything, right? But it was that was the one area that looked like, wow, we're way better than them statistically is receiving. But with a guy like Gabby and Gardini, they can wreck that pretty quick and just come back there and hammer serve. So I think it had the attention of our receivers um, clearly that night, and, uh, and they played great. Yeah, I mean, they were nails. Uh, you guys passed as good as I've seen in a long, long time and against that caliber. Uh, well, what's the what's the legacy of this group? As you mentioned, for some of these guys, it's six years in the making. It's it's untraditional in a sense. Like your two outside hitters are what six one and six three in in twenty twenty one modern volleyball. Downhill, like that. downwind. Right, and that's that's unheard of, right? And, and so you, you you're doing it by passing the ball, you know, which 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 is almost a lost art up until a few years ago. It seemed like in the men's game, like what what's what's the legacy you think of this group and how they went about winning this championship. Well, I, mean, I think that will unfold as we go forward, you know, but I think like when we were the Joe Worsley era, right, with us and we played a lot faster and the setter was great and we're running guys off one foot and, you know, you see we get such good exposure, like worldwide, literally people watch our stuff all the time. So we got people reaching out to us from all over the planet, coaches, players, so you know, like I said, after the Joe, that team, people wanted to emulate that. And it's, you see it and you want to do it, but it's like, okay, they have to understand that Joe Worsley is a senior. He wasn't running that offense when he walked in the door. But people, you know, want to look at that and want to play like that. And I, I think you're right, the the serving and passing uh, part. And I said going into the match, this will be the classic serve and pass battle because we both sides got big guys that can hit and block. They're going to do that. And it's how, how efficient, how productive can you be? And the serving and passing really matter. And, and we work hard on, um, on teaching guys to move their feet. And little guys really need to because they don't have this big range. You know, they can't just fall over and cover eight feet. Um, so for us, it was, you know, that's what we spend a lot of time on is keeping your feet underneath you and, and, and having great range and keeping your platform in the middle of the court and, um, I think you will see teams focus more on, on the basics. I think ultimately it's going to be good for the sport. You know, serving and passing, again, are really, really important. And, you know, obviously the more people you have on your team that can jump really high and hit the ball really hard, the better. But you still have to, you have to receive and serve um, at a high level to be good. Yeah, it strikes me as, you know, that, that all-important piece that is the setter position. You had a guy in Joel Worsley who just was phenomenal in so many ways. He was such a dogged competitor. Uh, and then the reins get passed, and, and there was a little bit of a battle uh, in that shortened season last year for who was going to be the franchise setter, so to speak, going forward. Jakob Tella is able to kind of claim that going into the offseason, and this season uh, performed at, at an incredible level. Uh, what did you see in just how he was able to step up, uh, as they say, and, and sort of assume that role of being a setter and, and the linchpin to what you're trying to do offensively in many ways? Yeah, you know, and Brett was the starting setter well, Jake wasn't even here in the fall. Jake didn't come till January. So he was not with us at all in the fall. Brett was the starter the entire time. And even when they came back then, 
Brett was playing well and, and actually Jake struggled a little when he first came back, but it, he quickly got through it and then it started, he really started to catch fire and um, his location got better and he's, you know, six, six lefty and really gifted athlete helps, right? Like he can, he can do a lot of stuff on the floor to score points and contribute more than just the setting piece. Um, and certainly his, eleva- his evolution um, was significant. You know, at the end of it, he may be the best setter in the tournament. And I think going in, you know, nobody would have agreed to that. But looking on at the end, like, dang, that guy, I mean, he still, we, we led the nation in hitting percentage again. That's largely on the setter. You know, he's, and, and we also led the nation in kills again. So we were the most productive and the most efficient, which is hard to do, right? And, um, and a lot of that credit has to go to the setter for sure. You know, major storyline, and this was something that was talked about from when the COVID shutdown occurred last year to obviously when, when this season finally got put together. Uh, you know, we mourned the loss of Colt Brennan this week, and, and so much of the adoration that was sent in his direction from the fan base came from what so many people perceived as that selfless act of deciding to not transition to professional sports, or in his case, the NFL, after his junior year and come back for that last year and they would go undefeated and and qualify for the Sugar Bowl. Um, And there were a lot of people who drew the parallel uh, from the decision Colt made to the decision that this senior group also made after the shutdown last year. There were options. There there were opportunities, perhaps, um, you know, maybe not in the same way as it would have been had it not been for the pandemic influence. Uh, But that said, these guys didn't have to come back. But they made a pretty quick and firm decision that they, that they in a unified fashion, would. Uh, how do you frame that and, and, and that, that group decision made by these guys who ended up leading you to a championship? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it was um, just, the, you know, as, as we said, the unfinished business. They really felt that, you know, we were close in 19. We got left out in 2018. And in 20, we were right there knocking on the door, and they really felt that um, we had the team that could win. And and knowing, too, like, just how much it meant to the people of Hawaii. Like, we've seen the, the support, and we know how much they support us when we lose, when we come up short, right? We didn't, we didn't actually win the championship. We won a champ, you know, but we didn't get all the way to the end. And, and that really was motivating, you know, knowing how much these fans deserve it and knowing how much it would mean to people and what a lasting legacy it would leave in this community, in the sports community and how much joy and how much pride it would bring to people. So I think that was a big part of the unfinished business. They wanted to see it through and certainly do everything they could in their power to see it through. Cause you know, there's, there's no guarantee that it's, it's going to work out the way you want it. But, um, uh, fortunately it did. And it, it also, it seems to show a, a connection among the players themselves though. I mean, th- these are guys who really did care genuinely about each other. Uh, and so instead of thinking perhaps a little bit more individually or independently as to, all right, where am I going to go now in my life? Uh, these are guys who talked among themselves and said, all right, what are we going to do guys? Yeah. We're coming back. And they decided yes. And so to, to be the head coach of a team and, and, and sort of, help to foster that kind of, of environment and, and sort of Ohana or family feeling. That's got to be something that you're really proud of, right? For sure. And, we, you know, we've talked a lot about the culture in our program is, is really powerful and has been now for several years. And it's been built, you know, on the, the, the character of, 
you know, how many every years you want to go back, whether it's the Capono phase and Henrik Mole and then Joe and Stein, these guys, and those guys still all check in and they all are a part of this success, you know, and they still care a lot about each other in this group. They knew they could do it. And, you know, we, we really have been fortunate with that. We haven't had much drama. We haven't had the, the me guy that who, who could sometimes can be a really good player and he's on the floor and there's always this kind of weird dynamic where are you feeding his ego or is he just working for the team? And we had none of that. You know, we had guys that really were there for each other and for the community. Um, and that's a pretty powerful thing to be a part of. Yeah, you could tell it was a special group. You mentioned some of those alums, uh, it's a rich alumni base. Uh, how much have you heard from those guys, guys that have played for you prior to that? Uh, I, I mean, I, I would imagine collectively it was a pretty special moment for, for some of these guys who, who, you know, maybe got close, but, but you know, reveling in this feeling a bit a part of it. For sure. And I, and I made sure that the guys, especially the ones in the most recent history, know that, like, they were a part of this for sure. They helped lay this groundwork and they're, and I, and then there's you going back, you know, to the all throughout the history of the program, people feel really connected to it. I mean, you, you saw yesterday that Kai Kahele, uh, you know, made mention of it on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. That's probably a first for men's volleyball or women's yeah. volleyball, for that matter, to have an alum standing there in the Chamber of Commerce or Chamber of Congress and uh, talking about uh, their alma mater and, uh, you know, so. A lot of people taking a lot of pride and feel really good in, uh, you know, in, in our accomplishment this year. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool yesterday. Um, where, when do you start uh, kind of looking forward to, to next season? When, when do you turn the page? You got a lot of good guys coming back and some, some names I think people will get very acquainted with when we get into next season that are, are loaded with talent. But uh, when, when do you start uh, putting the coach hat back on and, and getting back to the, to the office and the gym and, and getting work? Well, it never stops, right? It's just the process. <laughs> it didn't, it's not like you – it never stops. I mean, we're thinking about next year, last year, and we're thinking about – you know, so it's it's always going. We're always recruiting, always looking at, at moving this thing forward. And for us, and that's kind of – the for me, you know, we've, we've, we've come close, right? We've, you know, 15 we lost in the quarters and 17 we lost in the semi, 19 we lose in the final. And, and at the end of the year, you're like, well – we're getting close. We know we do We know we're doing a lot of good things. So what did we learn? What can we do a little better? But it's not a redo. Like we're just, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And, um, and this is, you know, one more step forward and really just validates that what we've been doing is working. You know, we have built, um, you know, a successful program and a great culture and there's great guys and there's good guys in the program now. And we're always looking forward to recruiting and um, you know, and, and having some success always gives you a little momentum. And uh, this is, the, you know, about as big as momentum boost as you can get. Yeah, you've always been that kind of, of coach, whether you were a member of someone else's staff um, or, or running your own program. Uh, you've been tireless, right? I always make the joke, you're like a Red Bull can with legs. Uh, <laughs> it just seems like you just keep going. And, um, you know, I wonder because you're right. When you get close and you don't get there, it probably strikes a certain hunger, right? A certain thirst that you want to quench. Now that you're coming off of a season where you've won it, is the motivation different? Does it change in, in terms of how you're pushed to keep going so feverishly in this way? Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's even, you know, uh, more motivating because now you – 
been to the mountaintop and you feel what that's like and and just you know so now we we want to just keep doing it you want more of it right um it is um pretty intoxicating right it's like a drug you take it and then it's like and it gets addictive and you want more of it and more of it and you you know and as you keep having successes that's there are more rewards for it so um like i said we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and uh and hopefully keep bringing and you know this is all based too on just bringing the people of Hawaii a product on a nightly basis that they're going to take pride in and producing young men that are doing it the right way in the classroom, in the practice gym, and that people can be proud of because we're not going to win every match. We're not going to win the championship every year, but we're going to keep having guys that are, that are bought into our process and, uh, and, you know, upholding the culture that got us to this point and that a lot of people take a lot of pride in. You're also not going to be able to just right away replace a, a special group like this, or, or even just in terms of, of those individual athletes, a Rado or a Pat Gassman or a Colton Cowell, and the list goes on. Uh, a Gage Worsley is very special as well. Um, and so, you know, how do you go about trying to do that? Do you, you've said before, you feel like uh, the guys to fill those shoes are already in the building in many respects. Um, how, how do you approach trying to, uh, elevate the next guy in line to uh, uh, attempt to achieve uh, what those guys have done in terms of their legacies. Yeah, you can't, um, you know, nobody can. I told, told Jake from the beginning, look, you cannot be Joe Worsley. You don't even try. Just be the best Jacob Tele you can. You know, and whether it was Taylor Averill going back that far, Howard Stein, you know, pick any of those guys. You can't be that guy. You just got to be the best version of you, right? So the next Rado, okay, there's not going to be another Rado, and there's not going to be another Pat, but there's going to be somebody in a uniform in that position. And, um, you know, we just need them to be the best version of their self. And, and again, it's collectively as a team, you know, again, it'll look a little different and you'll, we'll do things, you know, and we, this is when you start getting and talking about the system, right? Coaches always want to talk about their system. Okay. And our system, we, you know, and look, my system is let's figure out what you're good at. Let's find a way to put it in the game and hope we get 25 before they do. And that's going to change night to night and certainly year to year based on the talent you got. So, um, you know, Pat and Gage and Colton, Rattle, those guys are phenomenally talented volleyball players. Um, and the guys in our practice gym have played with them and against them. And like I said, we just keep working on making them become the best version of themselves and um, see where it takes us. Have you envisioned uh, raising the banner? I'd imagine – once we get fans back in the Stan Sheriff Center and, and what that moment will look like, uh, I know a lot of people can't wait to get back in the arena and, and, and support this team, but, but have, you, have you let yourself imagine kind of what that moment's going to be like? No, I haven't gotten to that. I did see Rich yesterday, and he started asking me about it, and then it was like, okay, do you do a banner and then the ring ceremony? You do both? You do that? It's like I haven't gotten into any of that yet. I know at one point um, – you know, there's going to be a banner go up. And there's always been that kind of puka next to the 87 on that end of the arena where there's four. And it really looks like there's room for a fifth. So um, I know it's going to get slotted in there. And hopefully we just keep going all the way around the arena. But, you know, one of the, one of the text messages I got was from Al Skates, a longtime UCLA coach who won 19 times. <laughs> and I just, you know, so he had some kind words. I said, only 18 more to go to tie you. <laughs> You got you to gotta shoot for the moon, right? <laughs> I think I'll be doing this for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks, 
to yeah, roll you, me out, roll me out. Yeah. You've also got the trophy like right next to you. I'm wondering, have you, have you even like allowed yourself to take your eyes off of that thing? Like, uh, yeah, here, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we're on this Zoom call. You're holding up the trophy. It, it, it looks like, I mean, that's like a, a brand newborn for you. I, um, I carried it on the plane on the way back. <laughs> they gave, the box they gave me to give it in was, I didn't want to check it on. It was too big for the overhead. So uh, I just carried it on with me and schlepped it through the Dallas airport and all the way back. And we took it on the trolley yesterday. It's been everywhere. We're going to, you know, share it with as much people as we can until um, people get tired of seeing it. Yeah, I'm envisioning it like having its own seat on the plane, like buckled up and, you know, right. in first class, you know, ordering a drink. Right. <laughs> yeah, all the stories that trophy could tell, right? Yeah. I was thinking of putting a mask on it when I had it on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. That is great. I just got one, one last question for you, uh, Charlie. The, just kind of the state of men's, ba of men's volleyball. Where, 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 where is the health of the game right now? It is growing uh, particularly at some of the lower level, we know the top level, right? Where, where you guys are at is the, the talent level is undeniable. Um, but we are seeing the growth kind of from the bottom up. The, the number of NEIA schools that are adopting men's volleyball continues to grow, uh, particularly in the, the NCAA division two level, some of those conference Carolinas, the Southeast has sort of embraced men's volleyball, but wh wh where, where is the game now you think in 2021? Well, I think it is still growing. It's in ascendant phase for sure. Um, I got an email today from um, David Matlin, our athletic director and the announcement of Long Island university is adding men's volleyball and his comments where they thinks there's going to be two or three more than those are. And you have to understand too, Ours is a Division One, Division Two championship. Mm -hmm. Schools like Lewis, you know, those are those are D two schools, but it's always been a D one, D two championship. So we all play for the same trophy. Um, you know, we added the SIAC, which is a league full of historically black colleges that next year will be their first year in existence. There's another league down there. You know, I think there's nine independents, and there's a, the, and four of them are in the SAC conference. And so they're only two short of getting the minimum of six to add another league. So the, the, the growth is, um, is real and happening and significant. And, you know, and hopefully that means we get to expand the tournament even more, right? It'd be great to get to 10 or 12 um, after having four for decades and now had a, had a run here of a half a dozen years or so where we've been at six or seven. So um, the growth is good, you know, and we'll continue to go out and, uh, and play in some of those kind of remote areas to help build, you know, to grow the game and, and, and to show people in different parts of the country what men's volleyball is like. And we'll continue to bring those teams out, too, so they can experience what it's like to play, you know, um, in a, in a big-time venue and what really what volleyball can be. Yeah, because the next step is also sort of the, the exposure side of it, right? And, and hey, you know, you don't have much control of, of, over this stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's a national championship match that was on ESPNU as opposed to maybe the primary ESPN or even the semifinals, which was streamed on NCAA.com and not televised uh, by a national broadcaster. Um, and those are steps that you would hope will present themselves as, as you continue to grow this and move down the line. But um, from a head coaching standpoint, you know, what is there in terms of advocacy that you can do? or that you and the rest of the coaching fraternity can do to, to try to, to expand the horizons of the game? Well, like I said, I think at, at the basic level, we can just get out and play all these other teams that are, are spending the money and putting and, and starting programs. 
get out and play against them, you know, and then they can see the level and they can see what it's like, you know, the more exposure that we can get, you know, and, and we're fortunate that we get a lot of exposure here. Um, so bringing teams out, they get to play and they get to see the match on spectrum. Now their fans get to tune in and, and see what it's like. And, you know, the people at the, here do such a great job, um, everything from the spectrum and the radio coverage and the event itself is an event, you know, it's, um, really has a big time feel. And so the more we can just get that product out, because once people see it, they're like, wow, that's, it's really entertaining. So um, just getting out and, and, and sharing our product with as wide as audience we can, I think is a good place to start. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, you've, you've spoken very eloquently about, you know, what this championship means for the University of Hawaii, the state of Hawaii, all of these supporters of, of your program. Uh, what did this accomplishment if you've even had time to really process it in this way, what has this meant to you, Charlie Wade, uh, based on your journey, your journey in the sport, your journey through the coaching ranks, being now at the University of Hawaii for over a decade and having gotten to this point, the pinnacle, the apex, how has this struck you in terms of achievement? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I haven't really had a lot of time to reflect on it, but as you ask me that, you know, I'm, um, and just how you said, like, so, yeah, my career has been, a, I'd say, a little unique in the path to this point than most. You know, most guys that are coaching played at a big time, played at UCLA, played at Pepperdine, you know, and had the big time college career. I went to high school in a small rural town in Indiana, you know, even though we were the county seat, it was only 10,000 people. There was no volleyball in the state of Indiana, and, didn't, and I didn't get exposed to volleyball until I moved to Southern California and just kind of fell in love with it. And then I was a coach for a long time at the club level on the girls' side and then at the college level. You know, I was, I was a Division I first assistant in 1987. Jordan, what year were you born? <laughs> Three years after that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I've been doing this a long time. And like I said, my path's been a little different. And just I've always kind of been the grinder, you know, and, um, and just fell in love with it and, and kept – you know, just trying to learn as much as I can and pursue and, and build. And, um, you know, I really am um, appreciative to Dave Shoji to give me a shot in 1995 to bring me out and put me on his staff. And that's when I really got to know why I had been here as an assistant because we were in the same league before the Big West even existed. That was the PCAA in those days. Um, but when I came in 95 and really fell in love with Hawaii, you know, and I was with Dave for 11 years on his staff and then back to California for head coach. So it's been a long journey. There's no question. And it's, you know, I, it's gratifying for sure. A lot of hard work and a lot of people supported me and gave me opportunities. You know, Jim Donovan hired me here and guys like Q Yoshida really supported me as when he was the athletic director. So I'm really humbled by all the people that have believed in me and helped me and, and, and glad that I can bring some joy to the people of Hawaii and have this championship. And um, so for me, it's just, let's just keep going. We can do it again. If we like one, we like do even better, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, it is a joyous time uh, for, for Hawaii fans, fans of this game of volleyball. Uh, and uh, congratulations to you and, and to this program for making that, that dream once again uh, a reality. Um, I would be remiss if I got off of this call with you without affording you who, like Jordan Helley, is a Chicago Bears fan. Um, Ten seconds or, or more, or however you want to go with this, on Justin Fields versus Andy Dalton. What you got? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I haven't gotten too far into that. Like, look, let him let him hash it out a little bit and just see who the best guy is. You know, obviously Fields was a, a, a great pickup by them, but you know, don't be slighting the red rifle. He may he may surprise people. Jordan, your thoughts? That's right. That's right. It's we got a competition. We got a competition on our hands. Not a controversy. It's, it's, it's a competition. Yeah. May the yeah. may the best man win, right? Both and, are and, better than golf, just so you know. And that's all the time we have. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> No, hey, for real, uh, appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the time. I know this has been a, a crazy whirlwind of a week for you, uh, but enjoy it. Uh, bask in it as much as you can, uh, and uh, we'll talk again soon, my man. Right on, man. Anytime, brother. Aloha. All right, big thanks once again to Charlie Wade. Busy guy this week, but I guess for good reason. I, you'll probably put up with some of those demands when you're uh, fresh off of your national championship and still clutching that trophy everywhere you go. Uh, but it is time for our post game and our best and worst Brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. All right, uh, what is your best, Jordan Helley? Yeah, my best, uh, what was it, just the other weekend, uh, DK Metcalf was just, just getting ready for the NFL season, went out and ran a uh, USA track and field event, and what, did he come in last in his heat? <laughs> but, he, but he ran 10-3-7, 10-3-7 in the 100 meters, which I know is not getting him in the Olympics, like he's not even getting him to the Olympic trials, but the dude is six, what, 6'4", 240 pounds, and he's running 10-3-7 in the 100. That is absurd. Like, it's not Tyreek Hill speed. Like, Tyreek Hill could have, like, made the finals of the Olympics the other year in the 200 based on his high school time. So, there were some fast dudes. Don't get me wrong. But Tyreek Hill isn't 6'3", 240. And so, it's just amazing that a man that size can run that fast. The other crazy part about that, I was reading a, an article on Mile Split, which is, like, one of the top track and field websites uh, that keeps track of that. There are five high schoolers right now in high school that would that have run non-win eight so wind legal times faster than DK Metcalf ran 1037. Like there's just five high schools out there. It's and if you go wind wind aided, it's like triple the amount. So it's it's crazy how fast kids are these days. But 1037 at that size, my God. Yeah, it also represents the evolution in that sport, right? In in just uh, the evolution in athletes in general. Because yeah, like he he finished what last in that heat with <laughs> yeah. that time. That time would have won the gold medal. Like at the 1936 or whatever Olympics, um, that would have been the yeah, winning right, time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like when you fast forward, uh, you know, several decades and it's like, oh, you can't even get past the first qualifying heat. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of, a, of an evolution, as they say. Uh, my best, uh, I'm going to give props to DeForest Buckner of the Indianapolis Colts and uh, retired Major League Baseball player from the island of Maui, Shane Victorino, uh, because they've sort of joined forces via their foundations to help raise money to pay for spring sports uh, at the prep level uh, here in the islands. Uh, I think there was a check that was presented for $250,000, and so a couple of guys, right, the Forrest Buckner uh, from the west side out of Punahou, Shane Victorino out of St. Anthony's on Maui, uh, a couple of Hawaii guys who have gone on to great success absolutely embodying the idea of giving back and remembering where they came from uh, and supporting the future stars and, and, and especially the kids uh, who have been hit so hard by this pandemic uh, to give them a greater opportunity and chance to compete. That's, that's awesome. Perfect, perfect stuff uh, from those guys. Yeah, we're, we're, we're blessed right here in Hawaii, not just the amount of talent that has made it to the professional ranks, but all of those guys, all of those guys so giving 
uh, of their time and, and financially as well, helping back and especially for kids, right? And they are always more than willing to help out the kids. I know, uh, shout out to Keith Amemiya, who I know is pretty instrumental in sort of coordinating all yeah. those different foundations and, and uh, getting the money to the right places. So yeah, it's it's awesome stuff. We might be playing more sports in the fall too. So hopefully this keeps on going. We might, you know, we got more CDC guidance out there. Ah. We might, we'll be getting back a little more to normal. So uh, I'm looking forward to high school sports back in the fall and, and getting more, uh, getting more of these kids back out there playing. Yeah. Yeah. CDC saying vaccinated people can actually go without masks indoors or outdoors. The more vaccinated people we have, the more people get inoculated, the greater chance that we'll be able to kind of go back to life as we once knew it. So uh, keep that in mind, people, when you're uh, considering whether or not to get vaccinated. Coming from a couple of guys who proudly uh, are able to proclaim that they are. All right. What is your worst? My worst? Uh, Bob Baffert. Uh, <laughs> is it Medina, Medina spirit? Either way. The Kentucky Derby winner, right, who tests positive for a performance-enhancing substance, um, which, you know, Bob Baffert, he's, he's been dinged a couple of times, and now he's suspended and, and all this kind of stuff. The, the good news for the betters is you don't, have to, you don't have to tear up your ticket. Like, you can still get paid out because the horse won the race. But the, my, really my worst in all of this, because, like, I don't know if he's the only one cheating, right? It's, it's horse racing. There's always some shady stuff going on. He, he went on, like, some national news outlet. And blamed cancel culture. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, which as a concept is, I think, a little overblown, especially by certain segments of the population. But, Bob, that, that's not what cancel culture is. Like, that's, <laughs> no. that, that doesn't apply in this case. Like, yeah. You getting in trouble for your horse testing positive, it's not cancel culture. That's just, you broke the rules. <laughs> yeah, and I think he... I don't he, think it applies. No, he said that there, that substance was uh, not given to the horse. Like you said it categorically, uh, and then just like a day later, turned around and said, oh, actually, we did uh, apply an ointment that had it. Yeah, a little uh, rash. until yeah, the a race. rash, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, the story's changing. Bob Baffert, my goodness. I'm glad <laughs> cancel you... Cancel culture, man. See, what, bro, America's going to the pits, man. Jeez, cancel yeah. culture. I Downfall know. of our society. We can't even run horse races without cancel culture invading. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. Uh, my worst, uh, we're kind of circling back to how we started this, but uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, newspaper publication, uh, headline regarding Colt Brennan, okay? Quarterback Georgia defeated in 2008 Sugar Bowl has died. That was the headline, all right, which obviously is, is very insensitive. Now, uh, these are all stories that are sort of picked off of the Associated Press, and so these local publications or regional publications will apply their own headline to try to make it more attractive to people in that area. That happens. That is a, a process. That is actually part of this whole game. Uh, but that one takes it to an impersonal level that is just straight-up offensive. So after some social media backlash – uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, changed it to saying just quarterback in 2008 Sugar Bowl has died. We were just talking at length about how popular Colt Brennan was. Uh, and so I think it's fair to have included his bleeping name in the headline because you just come off as insensitive jerks when you don't, at the very least, give this guy whose life came to a tragic end uh, the just due and respect of just putting his name on there. Why couldn't you just say Colt Brennan, quarterback for Hawaii, which lost to Georgia in the 2008 Sugar Bowl, has died? I mean, I would have been okay with that. You know, if you have to put that Georgia defeating him angle in it, whatever. But say the guy's name, man. Give him, give him the respect he's earned. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw this on Twitter right after kind of they had tweeted it out. And 
oh boy, they caught a lot of heat. And then caught even more heat after the second tweet. Because like, wait, you guys had, you guys redid it and you guys came with that? Like, it did, that's not necessarily better, right? Also, the other quarterback in the Sugar Bowl that year was Matt Stafford. And so like by that headline, it's like it could have been Matt Stafford. Like it is so ambiguous. What the hell are they doing? Yeah, it was just it was just whoever's in charge of writing the headlines. Like, come on. Yeah, man, that just uh, that's the worst. That is that is a legitimate all-time worst right there. That is our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui owned Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks once again to Charlie Wade for jumping on with us. Uh, hope he gives himself enough time to uh, soak it all in. I know he's uh, the ultimate consummate coach, so he's already thinking about next year, but uh, hopefully he can continue to celebrate because that was an awesome achievement. We appreciate him giving us his time. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at Talk Sports 808. Uh, Jordan, thanks, man. Talk to you again next week. See you, man.